So glad to see you. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here, and I want to pause and just say hello to all of you watching on YouTube. We are so sorry you couldn't be here. We understand why you can't. Um, we love you guys. Uh, we love you, YouTube Nation. We got two YouTube hosts this morning. If you want to type into your comment bar where you are, how many you've got watching this service, worshiping with you, we'd love to visit with you and connect with you. I would also send you a t-shirt. And those of you in the house, man, it's good to see you. So glad you're here today. We believe at West Main a few things, and I want to get them um, off right off the top. This is a judgment-free zone. Amen. Now, we have to be honest, and we don't always get that right, but we try real hard. And here's what that means for you today. It means that it's okay if you're not okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And when you encounter Jesus, he starts to shake things up and rattle your bones a little bit. Um, but you are welcome here, okay? You are, you are so welcome here. It, if, if, you, if you're like far from God today, if you doubt God today, if you only talk to God once a year, you're in the right place. Nobody here has a halo. Nobody here is perfect. If you thought you, had to go to, you, you were going to a church with a bunch of perfect people, you're in the wrong place, my friend. Now, not all of the people sitting here believe that. We're trying to help them out, but <laughs> you're in the right place. We have been called more than once the island of misfit toys. I love that. <laughs> I wish I'd have thought of it. And what that means is that there's probably somebody here who is gone through exactly what you're going through today, has gone through the same season of life you find yourself in today, and they'd love to walk that path with you. We are a church that does our best to welcome the outcast, to love the unlovable, to help those who are in need, to embrace the black sheep, and to have wide open arms for the prodigals. So I want you to know today, whatever season of life you find yourself in, you're in a safe place. No one will judge you. You are loved. We believe that Resurrection Sunday is the most important day on our calendar. The most important day. It's not opening day of football season. I just want to break that to you, Bulldogs. It's today. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday because of what happened what's going to happen, and what is happening. On Resurrection Sunday 2,000 years ago, hell had set up a death, but heaven was setting up life. 2,000 years ago, hell was setting up for a victory, but heaven was about to defeat death forever. 2,000 years ago, hell was setting up an execution, but heaven set up a resurrection. That's why we're here, right? That's why we're here. Heaven set up a resurrection. We're going to celebrate it. The title of my message today, because I don't have much time, is, as you can see on the screen, the tomb was not empty. What is he talking about? The tomb was not empty. I don't have a lot of time, so let's get into it. You ready? Here's what John said, John the Apostle. John chapter 20, the scripture says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, that's the tomb where they buried Jesus, and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. 
she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, several times you're going to hear this, the, the other disciple that Jesus loved or the other guy. It's John talking about John. <laughs> John speaks in the third person because that's just kind of the guy he is. John, he's the one Jesus loved. Uh, she got to them and she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. So Peter and that other disciple started out for the tomb. They both were running, but the other disciple, he outran Peter. This is crazy, isn't it? In the middle of the most important retelling of the most important day ever, John has to say, I'm, I'm faster than Peter. <laughs> it was always a competition with these guys, but he just wants to make sure we know, I got there first. And I stooped and looked in. This is John talking. I saw, John saw the linen wrappings lying there, but John says he didn't go in. And sometime later, old Slowpoke Peter showed up. He arrived, and he went inside, and he also noticed the, linens, the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And then the disciple who reached the tomb first, John. Golly, knock it off. When that guy got there, he saw, and what does it say? He, when he got there, he saw and believed. For until then, they still had not understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. And John ends it by saying, then they went home. Would you pray with me? Jesus, please help me to teach this plainly, clearly, powerfully. Help us to understand. Help us to see and believe like John. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I don't know if you got the scene, but Peter and, and John get to this empty tomb. This giant stone had been rolled away from the tomb, and there's a tomb entrance. And Peter looks in, and inside on a little kind of um, carved-out rock bench, there's the grave clothes lying there, and there's another piece of cloth lying there. So the tomb was not empty, my friends. There was stuff in there. It's a technicality, I know. But let's talk about it, because these things that are included in the scriptures are not there randomly, and they're not there on accident. They are there for a reason. And so there must be a reason that John decided to tell us when we got there, we looked in there, and we recognized this, this linen wrapping because just three days ago, our friend Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus the Pharisee, also the secret disciple of Jesus, they took the body of Jesus off the cross and they wrapped it in this linen and we saw it lying there. Now let's talk about that because John put that there to remind you and I that there's ample evidence to believe that there was an empty tomb. And John will spend the rest of his gospel explaining why it's important that you believe the evidence that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. Now, there was some fear, uh, and you hear it in Mary's voice. There was some fear among the religious leaders, the people that actually had Jesus killed. They were worried that the disciples were going to steal the body of Jesus 
and then claim that he rose from the dead. And she gets there, and what does she say? Ah, they stole the body. Somebody stole the body. And so to prevent that from happening, what they did was they asked the Romans who were in charge, would you please seal that tomb? So there was an official Roman seal, a wax seal on that tomb to say, Rome approves. Rome has seen this happen. There is a dead man inside this tomb. And not only that, they posted guards. There was a Roman guard outside of that tomb so that nobody could get in there and steal the body of Jesus. And yet when Mary shows up, Jesus ain't there. And John points out these linens to us to remind us, you know, these were all good Jewish boys, these disciples. None of them would have gone into that tomb and unwrapped a three days dead, decomposing body. It would not happen. You wouldn't do that. <laughs> and so John is just giving us some evidence. Here's some evidence that this really happened. Um, those grave clothes, they were just laying there. Who, what kind of thief is going to take the time to unwrap a dead, decomposing body? And then not only that, he makes this, this mention of this face cloth. And John's the only disciple, he's the only gospel that talks about this. And he says this head cloth was rolled up or folded up and kind of set to the side. And that's an important detail. And I just want to... Part of my job is to teach you truth, whether you like it or not. And some of you aren't going to like this truth, but I have to teach it to you because the truth sets you free. So always around this time of year, I start getting emails, and you probably see on Facebook. I don't know if this still circulates on Facebook or not, but every year around this time, there starts to be this story told about this particular piece of linen cloth left in the tomb of Jesus. And the story goes that around this time, there was a tradition among Jewish men Jewish families, that if you're eating dinner together, whoever's in charge of the dinner, the patriarch, he would, he would do one of two things with his napkin. By the way, no evidence whatsoever that people used napkins back in the first century. In fact, they didn't. But that, that this person would, this is the rumor, the, the urban legend, that if he was going to continue to eat but he wanted to get up, then he would fold his napkin so that the servant would know, oh, he's coming back. And then the parallel is made, well, the reason that Jesus folded up his napkin was to remind us that he's coming back. Now, that's a great story, but it's, there's no evidence that any of that was true. There is no first century tradition that that's what Jewish people did eating a meal. That just didn't happen. And so if that's not the real story, why would John include that detail? It's an important detail. And you have to go way, way back to understand what this head cloth is. You can see this head cloth mentioned in Mark chapter 11 when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Um, Lazarus has been dead four days, and Jesus just says, Lazarus, come on out of that tomb. And Lazarus walks out of the tomb, and then he instructs all of Lazarus' friends and family, take off his grave clothes and his head cloth. This head cloth was just used for one occasion, and that was to hide the face of the dead person, to cover the face, to veil the face, because as it decomposed, it didn't look like the person they loved. And if you go way, way back, I think this is the parallel John is trying to make. If you go way, way back, Moses once got to see God. 
If you go way back in your Bible, there was a moment when Moses got to see with his eyes God passing by. But he couldn't look at God's face. God said, I'm so holy, if you look at my face, you will die instantly. And so from that point on, there was a veiling of God. There was a hiding of God. There was a, 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 this special place called the tabernacle and then the temple. And in this special place where everyone would go to worship God, there was this one spot where no one got to go. That's not true. One man got to go once a year into this special place called the Holy of Holies. And to keep people out of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, there was a ginormous curtain. It was 30 feet high and 30 feet wide and 18 inches thick. Are you with me? Can you imagine a curtain this big? 30 feet high, 30 feet wide, 18 inches thick. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about this curtain. This is the curtain that separated regular folks like you and me from God. This is the curtain that separated all of us from the presence of God. God was hidden behind that curtain. He was veiled behind that curtain. And only one person got to go in there once a year. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us the moment Jesus died, that curtain got ripped in two from top to bottom. Now, the symbolism of that is pretty simple, right? It's like Jesus was making an, an exclamation point stamp on, on the whole system of veiling and hiding God. He's like, no more. You have access to God now. You have access and you have access. And even someone like you has access. Everybody has access. This was huge, guys. This was huge that this, this veil, this, this, this curtain just gets ripped and shredded. And because of the death of Jesus, now all people have access to God. And John, John's making the same parallel. He is saying the reason that Jesus took the time after he was raised from the dead to take that headcloth off is another picture. There's just some more symbolism that Jesus is saying, yeah, you can see the face of God now. We're done with headcloths. We're done with curtains. We're done with hiding God. We're done with restricted access to God. We're, we're done with one exclusive person having access to God. We're done with that system. And now all of you, because of the death of Jesus, can see the face of God. When you look at Jesus, you see God. And John is just trying to remind us when he puts these little details in there that because of the death of Jesus, you and I have access to God. He is not hidden. He is not veiled. He is not the sole property of some religion. He is available to you. The grave was not empty, my friends. There were grave cloths in there, and there's something else in there that you might not have noticed. You can't see it, but it was there. The power of sin and shame were also in that tomb. When Jesus died and his body was placed in that tomb, not only was his body placed in there, but the power that sin and shame has held over humanity for all time was also buried there with him. 
The scripture tells us that when Jesus, right before he died, God the Father took all the sin of all people of all time and put it on Jesus. Is that Oliver talking? Oliver got brand new legs this week, (laughs) and he's here today, and no one worships like my boy Oliver over there. Oh, my goodness. I was kind of sad when Oliver didn't show up at the beginning of service, and then when he showed up, I was like, it's going to be a good day because Oliver's here. Oliver is the joy bringer. Sin and shame, that's where I was, right? Let's talk about sin and shame. The Bible tells us that Jesus, as he died, he had all of our sin and shame placed on him. All of yours. All of mine. And then he took that into the grave with him. Now, some of y'all like to catch me and you're like, you're thinking, I got you, preacher, because sin and shame, they're still here. You know my neighbor? I can show you some sin. Have you seen a, a, a television show called The News? Sin and shame, they're still here, preacher, so I got you. Yeah, they're still here. Jesus didn't eliminate them. He just took away their power to enslave you. When Jesus died, the power that sin has to enslave you, to kill you, to destroy you, was also killed. Now, here's the problem, okay? Jesus took all that sin and all that shame into the tomb with him, and he killed the power it has over us. But you and I, as followers of Jesus, we have resurrection power living in us. And sometimes we go back into that dumb grave and we drag out that dumb sin and we start pumping its chest with a little CPR and we give it mouth to mouth and we want to bring that sin and shame right out of that tomb and right back into our lives. We give it life. We allow it to entrap us, to addict us, to enslave us. When Jesus just simply says, I died so you don't have to be a slave to that ever again. And this was a huge problem. It's, it's been a huge problem. Christian people, people that claim to know Jesus, walking into the tomb and pulling out sin and shame and just bringing it back to life. It was such a big deal that Paul had to write about it to a church in Rome, and I want to read it to you. Because no one can explain this better than Paul. Romans chapter 6. Paul says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried by Christ, buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may have new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, which is why we celebrate communion on Resurrection Sunday every year. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ 
so that sin might lose its what? Power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when he died, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he, t- he died once to break, what? The power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that great news? <laughs> Such great news. Hey, worship leaders, wherever you are, this is a great time to come back on stage. And then Romans chapter 8, just one page over. Here's, here's how Paul can, just kind of concludes this thought about sin and shame no longer having any power over our lives. So now there is no condemnation. Why is this a judgment-free zone? Because according to the scriptures, those of us who follow Jesus, there is now how much condemnation? None. John 3, 17. God sent Jesus into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world. Why? Because for those of us who would receive that resurrection power, that spirit of God as we believe in Jesus, there is now no condemnation, no shame for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. It wasn't that the law was wrong or bad. It was just we were so sinful that couldn't help us. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Good news, my friends, because Jesus defeated death. He also defeated the power that sin and shame can exhort on your life. You can be free today. Addiction can not have control over you. Shame cannot rule over you. All of that sin cannot separate you any longer from the presence of God because he has torn that, t- that curse.
curtain in two. He has removed the veil from his face. He has given you free and open and equal access to him. And there is nothing you could do to make him take it back. There is nothing you could do. The power of sin and shame is gone. And we got to stop giving it new life. You and I have to stop bringing it back to life. We have to let the Spirit live in us and push out all of that. And here's what I know for sure. Some of you sitting here today, sin still has a hold on you. And shame still has a hold on you, but it doesn't have to. You can be free today because Jesus defeated death forever. He defeated your shame and your sin and the power it holds over you forever. So what do you do? What do you do? If sin and shame have control over your life today, I would humbly but boldly encourage you, you do what Peter and John did. You remember how this story started? They started running. <laughs> they started running, Jimmy Lee. They started running to Jesus. That's what we got to do today, my friends. We got to run to a risen Savior. Run to Jesus. He will not reject you. He will not deny you. He will not turn his face from you. He will give you free access. He will love you. He will pour out grace and mercy on you, and he will save your soul. Would you stand with me? I want to pray. I want to worship with our worship band our worship leaders and thank God that he has freed us from sin and death and shame forever thank you God thank you for reminding us that we all have access to you through Jesus help us to live help us to live Jesus in your name I pray amen